Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to End the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host today, Kim Bilotto, and today we have a very special guest, the president of Weir Oil and Gas, Paul Coppinger. But first, before we bring Paul on, I want to bring on one of our resident energy experts, Tom Mulligan. Tom, welcome back to End the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks, Kim. It's great to be back and be a part of this very important conversation. Well, you know, last week we had you on to discuss the uh, Paris Climate Agreement and President Trump pulling out. I really think that it's important that we all gather as much information on what is really happening versus what we're being spoon-fed, if you will, out in the main media. And so I wanted to bring you back on because, you know, last week when we had this whole discussion about what was really occurring, boy, uh, our lines and our social media platform was, was pretty busy. And so obviously to me... That says that there is a whole lot of information that people are seeking versus just going to the main media and being, you know, told more or less what this seems like. So a few days have passed since President Trump announced his decision to withdraw from the Paris Agreement. And uh, we've seen on both sides, uh, some people are very much for it, some are against it. Um, And it kind of uh, appears as though the United States internationally is, uh, they're not too happy with us. So I'd like to ask you, with all of uh, the international countries weighing in, they're not very happy, a lot of them, with the United States and their decision. So my question to you is, where do you think that leaves the United States? And also, there's been a lot of discussion with these climate deniers. So how bad do you think uh, the decision for President Trump to pull out uh, from the Paris Climate Agreement has been for the United States. I want to get your opinion now that there's been both sides that have kind of weighed in. Well, I fully support the president's decision to withdraw from the, the Paris Agreement. And I would say that sometimes leadership is a lonely place. And what the United States has begun to do over the last 14 years, where we've shown about a 10% reduction in our greenhouse gases, as we've begun to demonstrate what real leadership looks like, and that is finding that environmental sustainability and economic sustainability can survive together. And that really is the only leadership position because people will not do what they can't afford to do. So this idea that this has been a bad decision, this is about my third iteration of this, Kim. You know, we had the Kyoto Protocol, which pretty universally now is, is, it's been agreed that is a defective instrument. But for years, it defined the environmental conversation. If you were for the Kyoto Protocol, you were for the environment. If you were opposed to it, you were opposed to the environment. Then we went through about another 10 years of that being cap and trade, which people now generally agree that that's a very bad idea to put a price on carbon, and that defined the environmental conversation. And now here we are again with Paris. But each of these different concepts seem to overlook one very fundamental principle in that we have only one atmosphere and if we move emissions from nations that have 
very comprehensive and rigorous environmental standards that are enforced, greenhouse gas emissions go way up and so do listed pollutants. So I believe the, the president's decision was wise, and I think that what we'll do is continue to develop market-based solutions, and we'll continue to see technology driving an initiative that will reduce the U.S. anthropogenic interference. Well, and, and Tom, I want to go back because I want to know your thoughts on, is it possible for the United States to reduce greenhouse gases, our footprint, while not endorsing the Paris Agreement? Absolutely. And I think that we will we'll see that as we have more informed conversations on how to reduce our not just our greenhouse gases, but how to reduce our overall environmental footprint. And what we've seen is that where we've had technology has developed, we've seen greenhouse gas emissions go down, as well as other listed pollutants, as, as well as other different types of waste streams. In this country, we've seen dramatic reductions in greenhouse gas emissions because of the uh, development of horizontal drilling or hydraulic fracturing in the use of natural gas. Uh, we've seen where market-based solutions have had a dramatic impact on reductions of our gases, and we're going to continue to see that. But the first thing that people have to understand is what are those gases, what are the sectors, and what are the sources? Sustainability studies. I think it's fascinating to see mayors weighing in now talking about what they're going to do. And, you know, what I would say to those mayors is, where you been? <laughs> this conversation's been going on since 1992. Exactly. Why did it take so long for you guys to start doing what you needed to do? And maybe maybe it's that um, they should have been doing this all along. So, so Tom, your, th- your point is that we can achieve meaningful environmental sustainability and reduce a lot of uh, the pollutants in the planet um, if we basically start working with one another as opposed to just having jobs transfer from the United States into other up-and-coming countries and funding them to actually do the right thing, that we can achieve this together. We just probably started with the wrong failed agreement. Which leads me into my next question. Since Trump pulled out, conservative pundits have pointed out that Paris supporters should be focusing their anger on President Obama, who, by the way, did not seek to ratify this by Congress, the treaty. So tell me your comments on the aspect of this debate. I would say that succinctly, Kim, this agreement will be devastating to the economy. It's constitutionally defective in this country because the president failed to bring this proposed treaty before the Senate, which is required under Article 2, Section 2, the United States Constitution. And I think it'll be bad for the environment. It, it just simply is going to move emissions from regulated nations to unregulated nations. And we now have 20 years of data to demonstrate that since Kyoto. This is the 20th year anniversary. Uh, when we left the Earth Summit in 1992 in Rio that, that framed the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, UNFCCC, where it talked about bringing all the nations together, and went to Kyoto, where it divided the world up almost in half. Uh, the year that that instrument was drafted, it wrote out 48% of, the, of global greenhouse gas emissions. We then started on a faulty foundation. That agreement is, is, is it, this Paris is built along those same lines of 
bifurcating the world up and developed and developed. We will definitely move jobs. We'll move emissions. And in China, the carbon intensity is, is nearly twice what it is in the United States. It has failed on virtually every level, economic, constitutionally, and environmentally. We can do much, much better. So what is your opinion, then, that we need to start over with a new agreement that is basically built with a good foundation on discussing, okay, they're not emerging countries. They may be, but they have issues with trying to figure out how to deal with all of the pollutants that they're putting in the planet. And they need to be brought in just like the United States at the same time, since they are truly, you know, huge, huge emitters of of pollution, all different types of pollution. You know, I think the other thing that I want to just mention is the fact that why didn't President Obama go to the Senate and bring this before the Senate? Was it because it was so flawed and this is why we have this, you know, debacle right now is because it would have never gotten through the Senate? It was such a poor plan. It's hard to imagine it would have gotten the votes that was necessary, just like Kyoto did on the on the test vote that was taken on Kyoto. It wasn't a partisan vote. It was 98 to nothing. So where do you think we need to go then? I mean, obviously, we have to do something. Doing nothing is not an option either. The climate has changed throughout all of time. We've seen more extreme weather systems. I mentioned I'm the commander of the State Guard here in South Carolina. We've had two hurricanes within one calendar year with $2 billion worth of damage. We need to understand how the climate is changing. We need to develop adaptation and resiliency plans. Uh, I've done in our, in our office a fair amount of climate anthropology research, uh, demonstrating how climates have, have helped and have helped hurt different national um, sovereign issues. We, we need to understand that. And then we need to determine how best to inject economic sustainability into this conversation because as i say people will not do what they can't afford to do we need an informed conversation i'd like to be able to talk to one zealous advocate in congress for reduction of greenhouse gases and have them answer this one question what are those greenhouse gases i've never had one answer that the six greenhouse gases that we're looking at and others and then the sources and sectors this is a conversation that requires a certain level of understanding it's complex and we'll bring a surgical instrument to it, Kim. We talked about you need to start with a couple of fundamental building blocks. First, we only have one atmosphere. So if what we do in moving emissions from the United States to China makes global emissions worse, we haven't helped the problem. The second is we need to understand that we can't divide the world up into these developing and developing. It's better that we have a smaller goal that's achievable by the whole world. And then we need to begin to find strategies where we can reduce. The work that I've done for industry uh, has demonstrated that where we could take a surgical instrument, we can reduce the various gases, carbon dioxide, nitrous oxide, methane, and the, four, and the three synthetic gases. Uh, we can go in and we could find ways to reduce and to apply developing energy sources. But what we can't do is what we can't afford to do, and it's – we can't take for an energy-intensive manufacturer that may be paying anywhere from 2 to $5 million a month and take them off 3 or $0.04 cent power with national, natural gas and put them on $0.13 cent wind power. We've got to find that continuum that allows for us to have a reduction that's meaningful and sustainable, and we can do it. And Kim, that is the leadership position. 
is, is finding that place. Right. Well, you know, Tom, we are out of time this week, but I do welcome you to come back next week and figure out where are we at with this talk. But if there is one thing that I will close with is that President Trump does seem to want to find where is this bridge? How do we make this happen? Even though the first proposal didn't work because it was not set up to benefit America. Obviously, going back to the drawing board and seeing where else we can find commonality and helping our one planet is a really good idea. So I'm, I, I'm hopeful that uh, other countries will come to the table here within time. Tom, thank you. That's all the time we have for today. Look forward to speaking to you again next week and touching base on uh, the Paris Climate Agreement and where we are. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Tom, for being a guest on In the Old Patch Radio Show. But we do have to take a quick break. When we return, our guest, Paul Coppinger, the president of Weir Oil and Gas, is up next. So stay tuned. We'll be right back, and you are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Hey, 2016 is a great time to grow your business, and there is no time like the present to improve the awareness of your brand. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey here with Kim Bellotto and our special guest on the phone this week with Weir Oil and Gas, Paul Coppinger. Kim? Well, Paul, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm so glad this is your first time to be with us. And so we are really interested in learning about what Weir Oil and Gas does. And so welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Kim and Alvin. I appreciate you asking me to be here. Well, I want to get started on uh, talking about where, but before we do, I think I owe it to our listeners to ask a little bit about your role at Weir Oil and Gas, and um, tell me a little bit about your current role as the president. Absolutely. Well, I joined Weir in 2011 as president of SPM, which is the uh, leading provider of frack equipment around the world, and uh, we slowly bought a couple of companies, and, and we formed the pressure pumping group, so I got promoted from that. And then in 2015, I uh, was uh, promoted again to division president of oil and gas, and so I've been in this role for a couple of years now. And we've got a you know global organization that um, is focused on pressure pumping and pressure control. So where is a publicly traded company that's a global company? Absolutely, yeah. The Weir Group um, is based in Glasgow, um, Scotland. We're traded on the London Exchange. Uh, We're basically made up of about 15,000 employees in 70 different countries. We're we're organized in three different divisions. Our largest division is in minerals and mining. Uh, Then we have oil and gas, and we also have flow control, so three different divisions. I'm I'm obviously the president of oil and gas. Um, We're in, in minerals. We're one of the leading providers of flow control equipment in that space and in oil and gas which you're most interested in we're uh, the leading provider of frack pump equipment around the world and in pressure control we're a leading provider of wellheads and trees um, particularly mostly in North America and the Middle East so um, a diversified company uh, global um, with uh, employees around the world and um, um, but a a leader in the spaces that we participate in very interesting so I'm curious also, tell me a little bit about working at Weir and what is the, the company's culture like there? 
You know, it's a great place to work. Um, I, I Again, I joined six years ago and in various positions that I've been in. It's a very entrepreneurial company. Um, it's a company that promotes, um, you know, people making decisions, taking risk. Um, and it's just a really good place to work. I think it's not a real, it's not a highly charged political environment or anything like that. I think we, we don't, we're not so hung up with hierarchy and, and who reports to who. It's just a, a really good company that you can communicate horizontally or vertically up and down the company. I think, you know, we've got five great values. Uh, think about safety, delight our customers, deliver quality, do the right thing, and explore and innovate. So, um, and I think we live by those every day. So, again, it's just a really good company to work for, and I've certainly enjoyed my first six years here. Paul, what do you what do you feel like really distinguishes we're the most in this industry? What 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 stands out about We're Oil? You know, I think I think it's the areas that we focus on. We're 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 not in commodity type products and technologies. We are we are very focused in having mission critical products. We're very focused on highly engineered and technical solutions. Uh, and I think thirdly, we're very much focused on products and services that 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 require a lot of aftermarket support uh, so that we're we're not only there touching our customers during the initial sale, but we're there throughout the life of our products. And I think that's a bit unique about where there's a, there's a lot of companies that maybe don't focus on those three things quite so much. But we're, uh, I think, is unique in that regard. Uh, I think just to, to sort of overarching above those three things is just our innovation. Um, I'll talk about maybe a little bit later about, you know, the market, but uh, the, the, you know, we've ring fenced our R and D spend, even in the downturn um, that we just went through in 2014 through 16. Um, So I think we're, we're very committed to innovation and continuous improvement, despite what the market's doing. So I think those are some unique things about where that I've really enjoyed being a part of for the last uh, six years. You know, Paul, you brought up something very interesting. It's it's no secret that the oil and gas industry, um, as well as you know Texas, obviously, we endured a downward turn with the price of oil dropping. And you mentioned that you all did, um, you know, have you weathered the storm? Were there some specific things that you believe were uh, were you focused on that really helped, or how did we weather that downward turn? Yeah, that was a that was a tough one, wasn't it, Kim? It was. I, I've been in this. I've been I've been I've been in the oil and gas industry since getting out of school in '84, so 33 years. I'll show my age here a little bit, but uh, you know that was just one of the toughest ones, just because of the, the how fast it dropped and how long it stayed. Um, you know, I think it, we're first. First of all, you have to have a very supportive. A set of shareholders and the board of directors. Everybody was is committed to the oil and gas industry, so it wasn't about some short-term strategy of how deep could we cut, how could, you know we didn't stick our head in the sand. Yes, did we make, did we move aggressively to to have to cut cost? Of absolutely, we did, and I think we we did as well as our peers or even better in in a lot of cases of maintaining. Uh, what level of profitability we could, but also maintaining positive cash flow. I think that was the key is even as your profit is dropping, you make sure that you continue to generate cash flow. I think the other thing, and I mentioned it just briefly a few minutes ago, is we didn't cut a single R&D engineer. We didn't cut back on a single uh, strategic project where we were developing products for the North American shale market. 
uh, in any of those in that two and a half to three year period. So uh, was it tough? Absolutely, it was tough. It was devastating on on the organization. But I think the, the, the recipe was that you acted aggressively on the cost that you could cut. Um, you treated people very fairly. And, and you tried to ring fence those things that were going to be strategically important to you as the market began to recover. And I'll tell you, it's paid benefits for us on, on treating people well. In a lot of cases here in Fort Worth, we have our largest manufacturing footprint for frat pumps and, and associated products. We've got a lot of employees that have come back to work for us because we treated them so well. And they may have found other jobs, but when we had an opportunity to hire them back here, at the beginning of this year, they were eager to come back. So I think those are kind of the key things that we focused on over the last couple of years. Well, it's been a tough downturn for all of us. I think you've probably seen some worse downturns in your career. Um, When we come back from break, Paul, I want to talk about advantages that might have resulted from an industry downturn. But right now, we do need to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey here with Kim Bellotto and our guest on the phone today with Weir Oil and Gas, Paul Coppinger. And we'll be right back. Managers, bosses, supervisors. Hey, flu season is here. Don't let the flu bug bite your employees. Banish sick days and keep your workforce strong, healthy, and productive with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired till the day they retire. Trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your workforce health care needs. Health care that comes to you. Call 866-334-2485. Again, that's 866-334-2485. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey here with Kim Bellotto and our special guest on the phone this week with Weir Oil and Gas, Paul Coppinger. Paul, when we in the last segment, we were talking about weathering the downturn. And in this segment, I want to start out with... Do you see any advantages that have resulted from an industry downturn? Is it a better industry today because we we got knocked down a little bit? Well, I think we're much more efficient. I mean, if you if you you know, and we always try to look for a silver lining um, with any industry that's on a a prolonged upturn. There's probably a little bit of fat that that comes into the system, and I think uh, this has forced the entire industry to become more efficient. And as you as you guys know, being so close to the North American shale and shale market, uh, you know that we're in a global competitive world where we're trying to make sure that the North American shale plays are competitive with a lot of um, pretty tough competitors around the world that have pretty low lifting cost. And so as you think about that, uh, this last two years has forced the industry, whether you're a service company, a manufacturer, an oil company, whoever you may be, whether you're in oil or in gas, you've had to look at your organization and in some cases do everything you can to make sure you're as efficient as you can be. And in some cases, that meant that two or three organizations had to come together to achieve that efficiency. So again, let's look for a silver lining here as we come out of this the North American shale market collectively, not just we're, but collectively, we're much more competitive than we were, say, three years ago. I could not agree with you more, Paul. And actually, we did hear about a new product that we're oil and gas was promoting at the OTC this past uh, month in, in Houston, the Offshore Technology Conference. And uh, we wanted to try to catch up with you. However, Alvin, do you remember I fell off uh, the curb out there and kind of 
uh, hurt my ankle, so I wasn't able to, to, to conduct the interview. She crawled as fast as she could, but she couldn't catch you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to bring you on the show to talk about this new technology. So explain to us the new simplified fracked iron system. Yeah, thanks for asking about that, Kim. Yeah, you know, and I mentioned it earlier, it's, it's really all about efficiency and safety. How can we make sure that rig up time and rig down time pumping efficiency, everything is maximized uh, as, we're, as we're doing our part to try to make this a safer and more economical uh, uh, market for us. And so the simplified frack iron system is just a combination of some of the work that my pressure pumping group does at the from, from all the way from the frack pump down through the manifold trailers and all the iron and eventually getting to where my pressure control group takes over, which is around the zipper manifold and the frack tree around the wellhead. And so we've taken those groups and we've worked together to create a system where before there might have been multiple pipes and irons and leak paths and everything that you had to put together. Uh, we've taken and we, we've pulled all those together into a very large bore single line system that's much quicker and more efficient to put together, has fewer connections, less less non-productive time, enhanced safety, increased reliability. So it's really about getting the the well uh, ready to frack, frack the well safely and efficiently, and then demobilize and move to the next well without a lot of downtime. And so that's really the essence of that. It's kind of a less is more uh, mentality. And, um, I, you know, we think it's a real winner. And I can tell you since the OTC um, – We've actually been investing CapEx uh, up in Canada, particularly, where customers are, are asking us to, to use this system on their wells. And so we're getting a great reception from the market on that, and um, we're starting to deploy those um, since OTC. One of the other things you guys introduced at OTC was your new pressure control intelligence systems. Talk about that for, for about a minute and a half for us. What's unique about this? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a lot of the systems in flowback or in some of the drilling processes use manual processes to control valves, fluid levels, you know, measuring things. And this is just really about digitizing that. Uh, it's more reliable, which enhances the safety of the of the operation, reduces the environmental impact, enables customers to make faster, more informed decisions before an incident occurs that might cause a spill or might hurt someone. So really, it's just about digitizing some operations that for many, many years have just been manual processes. And I think, again, we've got great reception from that. Uh, that's just more about the digitization of the oil patch and uh, just the one, of the one of the first products that we introduced this year at the OTC. Paul, when we come back from break, we want to talk more about dig- digitization and, and how that's important in the oil field. And one question that I'm going to have for you is, do you see a difference in a software developer you know, creating a product for the oil and gas industry versus, you know, the old the old uh, pump jack operator that uh, spent 50 years in this industry and, and what's different about it today than, than 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. But right now we do need to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey along with Kim Bellotto and our special guest with Weir Oil and Gas, president of Weir Oil and Gas, Paul Coppinger. We'll be right back. Empower Rural Texas and join the Texas Rural Challenge at the Waco Convention Center from June 29th through the 30th. Hosted by the UTSA Institute for Economic Development SBDC Rural Business Program, this is the largest state event of its kind. 
Engage in innovative presentations regarding small business leadership and community development or business plan competitions for Texas small business owners and college students. Join the challenge and register as an attendee, vendor, or sponsor at TexasRuralChallenge.org. Hey, oil and gas friends, Alvin Bailey here. You know, every week, Kim and I work really hard to bring you up to speed with what's going on out here in the Texas oil patch. I also want to take just a minute to talk to you about your fleet needs. Whether you have one truck or 1,000 trucks in your fleet, I can help you. Call me when you have a minute and let's talk trucks. Did you know that the Caleb Auto Group offers pickup and delivery right from our service departments? And I'll bring the dealership right to your desk. You don't need to drop what you're doing and come waste hours and hours of your valuable time haggling over pennies. I have a very transparent process with a simple pricing formula that ensures you're always going to get a very competitive price and the very best service available in the industry. So call me today, area code 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656, and let's talk. Have you heard of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, the largest state association in the country? 87 years strong serving independents, and it's right here in Texas. Offices in Houston, Austin, and Wichita Falls. Over 3,000 members of all ages like you who are in the oil and gas industry or who have family members and friends who are. Company members range from one employee to large independents. Lobbying, networking events, and saving you money. For a membership tailored just to fit your budget, contact Sandy Simon at sandis at texasalliance.org or call 281-997-7223. That's 281-997-7223. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey here with Kim Bellotto and our guest this week with We Are Oil and Gas, Paul Coppinger. Paul, when we left for break, we were talking about digitization of the oil and gas industry and and how high tech this industry has become. And we want to stay on that topic and, and talk more about the high tech industry that oil and gas has become over the last, you know, just few years, really. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's been it's been unbelievable. Um, I, I've got a petroleum engineering degree, and certainly certainly got training. You know, back in the in the mid '80s, um, just the technology in the 30 years that I've been in the industry is just so dramatic. Uh, I, you know, if you think about just starting with the drilling process and how how manual and how much of a guesswork that used to be, and today. Uh, you know, where a driller used to stand on a rig floor with his hand on a brake and a throttle, uh, now sits in a control room that literally, if you didn't know any better, you'd think you were sitting in, in the cockpit of, of a jet airliner. Um, and that's just one example of where it's come. Uh, I can remember, again, when I was in school, we were talking about looking for shale on, a, on an electric log and learning, trying to learn how to avoid it because there, we couldn't get oil and gas out of it. We would go to some other reservoir. And now, you know, the technology is so advanced, we can pinpoint where shale is, and now we can drill horizontally into it within a foot or two, two or three miles away, and then go in and frack and complete those uh, all digitally controlled. So it is it is such a revolution and an evolution that's occurring uh, in the oil and gas industry. Industry, particularly in the 30 years that I've been in it, but particularly 
most most uh, the biggest impact has been in the last 10 years, I think. And with this modernization, Paul, how important do you feel it has been to the oil fields as a whole? I mean, like you're a service company, but in your uh, understanding, are all of the EMPs, the oil and gas exploration companies and large service companies taking advantage of this uh, digitalization, if you will, and how important it is, has it been to the oil and gas sector? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, anywhere from the geophysical work that, that, that requires supercomputers, uh, you know, and modeling of reservoirs all the way through, uh, you know, as I said, the exploratory drilling and then production drilling and then finally into completion, it, it, we could not be where we're at today with you know lowering the cost of lowering the lifting cost of shale oil and gas in North America had it not been for the advancement of technology and the digitization of the oil field uh, you know from 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 what from sensors to controls to an analytical uh, tools uh, you know you think about the people that we used to hire in the oil and gas industry, they might have been a petroleum or mechanical engineer. We're hiring more and more electronic engineers, electrical engineers, computer scientists. Uh, and so, the, the, you know, yes, has there been a, a history of more of a mechanical type uh, atmosphere? But I think the future is actually going to become more of a, a digital age uh, like other industries, like the airline industry and even automotive. And, you know, I want to lead into, is there any specific areas um, that that bring to mind uh, for you that you think really stand out a lot in the future for oil and gas as an occupation. Well, I think it's interesting you mentioned that. I know you know if you if you're familiar with the PISA IPAA, uh, we we together collaboratively have have education programs at the high school level in several uh, Houston and Fort Worth high schools to to educate young kids on on the oil and gas industry. And we've had several of those kids that have gone through those programs and went through college and graduated as petroleum engineers and gone back to work. So a lot of young kids are getting an exposure to oil and gas even at the high school level. And there's a lot of organizations helping that. I'll just tell you, you know, things are changing so quickly. I mean, we, we've literally got in some of our field applications now, um, a lot of the work that they do out in the field, it used to be paperwork is now done on an app on their iPhone or Android or whatever, iPad. iPads, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's just amazing today the changes that are going on in the industry um, and the mobility of our employees uh, being able to work, not just sitting at a desk all the time, but having that work go with them wherever they are. And I think that fits much better with the Millenniums as they think about more flexibility and how they work. You know, it's funny that they have different priorities than we might have had as we were coming out of college uh, many years ago. Um, but I, I just think the oil and gas industry has so much to offer from a technology point of view. And I really am proud of how the oil and gas industry, even though a lot of those of us that have been in the industry will be retiring over the next 10 years, so to speak, I, I do think we're, we're recognizing that and we're doing the best that we can to accelerate this digitization to make sure that we are attracting that young talent uh, over the next five to ten years. Paul, that's very interesting. When we come back to the next segment, I want to I stay on this for just a second. The question that I'm going to have for you is, do, do you feel like our colleges and universities and their, their technical training programs for oil and gas are able to, to keep up with this ever-changing technology and, 
and keep good young minds ready to enter the oil and gas industry. And uh, think about that for a second. Answer that for me when we come back from break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey here with Kim Bellotto. We're visiting with Paul Coppinger, the president of Weir Oil and Gas, and we'll be right back. PISA is the Petroleum Equipment and Services Association, who is the unified voice for the energy industry's service, supply, and manufacturing organizations, advocating and supporting continued achievements in job creation, technological innovation, and economic stability. PISA provides corporate membership opportunities in two categories, industry and allied. Over the years, a lot of amazing companies have become members of PISA, but don't take my word for it. Click on the directory on their website and see for yourself. In order to become a member of PISA, all you need to do is go to PESA.org, click on the membership tab, and fill out an application. Once again, that's PESA.org. Amerijet's global cargo network is ready to take care of all your shipping needs. With over 40 years of experience in the energy industry, we will help drive your excellent performance. Shipping general cargo, oversized, heavy lift, hazardous material, or mission-critical cargo? Amerijet is your full-service logistics provider, offering air charter, airport-to-airport, cross-border trucking, and express shipping. Amerijet will connect your company to over 30 major cities in the U.S. with more than 625 destinations worldwide. We provide global transportation solutions throughout the Americas, Mexico, the Caribbean, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. Your company will benefit from compliance with the highest safety and environmental standards, 24-7 security and surveillance, and online tracking. Let Amerijet's global team ensure the safe delivery of your cargo. For the best in customer satisfaction, Amerijet Houston is your commercial shipping partner. Call Amerijet at 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. Once again, that's 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey, trying to work a computer here today. And uh, we're talking technology with Paul Coppinger, the president of Weir Oil and Gas. And, Paul, before we went to break, I asked you a question about colleges and universities that are – a lot of them now are offering, you know, STEM-type programs for oil and gas, uh, potential oil and gas professionals. And do you think these colleges and these – technical training programs are able to keep up with the changing technology as fast as things are changing? And if not, what do you think they need to do to stay ahead of that curve? Well, I mean, they're doing the best they can. I mean, clearly, you know, they have limited funds in, in a lot of cases, but I think um, working in partnerships with industry, I think we're doing a relatively good job. I think I think I, what I would encourage is that uh, my peers in the industry, and I think a lot of this happens, is they're partnering with these universities just so that the universities aren't on their own to be doing this without without help from, from us. I know, for example, in my company, uh, we reach out to several universities each year and hire summer 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 uh, engineers to come work for us during the summer to get them familiar with what we do. We actually have graduate programs where each graduating class we we go in and cultivate uh, some of the best and brightest young minds to bring them into a three-year rotational program. That actually, I mean, if you think about it, we're we're really willing to invest in somebody for three years to allow them to work in many different parts of the company before we may decide okay, or they may decide which area they want to go in. So um, I guess the point is the colleges and universities are doing a great job, but they can't do it on their own. They've got to be in partnership with the, with uh, companies like my, mine and others in the industry to make sure that we have a collaborative effort to, 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 to ensure these millenniums are prepared for uh, their careers in the oil and gas industry and to get them interested in the oil and gas industry. 
Now, Paul, I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about the technology on the side of the companies. I want to talk about how do you see the companies are taking advantage uh, of the new technologies and um, what kind of impacts uh, are they making on these energy companies? Well, I just think it, it, you know, we touched a little bit on it earlier around the efficiency and safety. Uh, I just think it allows us to to be a lot more productive. Um, you know, a company like ours, that's a combination of a manufacturing company and a service company uh, using digitization, using apps on our, on, our, on our mobile devices, using electronic data out in the field to be able to answer questions or create invoices or record time or other, other things that we can do electronically now compared to that used to be things that used to be a pile of paperwork or used to be large volumes of books and manuals and things like that. It's just it's becoming so much more productive for us to be able to do things electronically today than what we were doing five or ten years ago. And that all translates into a more efficient uh, operation out in the field, safer and efficient operation out in the field. Um, and so as we do those things and cumulatively as the industry does those things, it just makes our industry much more competitive. I think I said earlier in the interview, we're competing around the world with people that can lift oil and gas from the ground much cheaper than we traditionally could do it. And without all these, these pieces of technology falling into place and advancing very quickly, we're just not going to be able to stay competitive. I couldn't agree with you more because right now it, it, the name of the game is being efficient and watching those costs. So tell me a little bit about where where's y'all's focus at as a company and um, also a little bit about what is what do you think the greatest uh, impact you guys want to achieve here with all this modern technology? You know, I would say even beyond the oil and gas division, even in our minerals division, um, you know, the mining the mining industry has similar challenges. I think it's all about partnering with companies like we're that can help them lower their whether it's you're lifting copper out of the ground or whether you're lifting oil and gas out of the ground I, I would say our main focus is about how can we make it more efficient for our customers to produce energy um, uh, whether again whether it's mining or whether it's oil and gas how can we help them do that much more efficiently and much more safely without environment uh, with a minimum amount of environmental impact that we can possibly have and I think you know you think about the some of the digitization that I talked about in our pressure control operation earlier um, our intelligent systems just just an example is uh, you know people used to flare when when you flare gas either in a flowback operation or production operation you're trying to measure how much gas you're flaring and it's a very crude way of looking up and measuring the length of the flame well we now have digitized that and we measure that electronically to allow uh, operators to make sure they're not releasing more gas than they should be op- releasing. And so all that together is really about help, you know, improving safety, helping the environment, and making our lifting costs uh, competitive with our competitors around the world. Very interesting. And I have one last question on, uh, on innovation, of course. What mm-hmm. can we expect from We're Oil and Gas? 
Well, I think you can expect more market-leading products. Uh, we, you know, we we have we have been the leader in the frack pump industry um, for several years now. Um, we continue to innovate. We try to stay ahead of what everybody else is doing, and I think you can expect that we will continue to innovate in that area. We will continue to bring products to the market that allow our customers to operate under you know longer hours of of operation more intense frac operations and products that will last longer so that there is a less non-productive time. I think that's going to be the focus of our innovation, whether it's in our pressure pumping operations or our pressure control operations. And I think as you uh, keep track of us, you'll see more and more of that coming out in the next uh, few months and the next couple of years. Well, Paul, it's been a pleasure having you on the show with us. We'd certainly like to have you back. And and real quick, if somebody wants more information about Weir Oil and Gas, uh, do you guys have a website or a, a toll-free number somebody can call to get information? Or how does somebody get in touch with you? www.global.weir. And that's W-E-I-R, www.global.weir, W-E-I-R. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being a guest today, and we look forward to having you back on the show. That's great. Thanks a lot, Kim. Thanks, Alan. Thanks again, Paul, for being our guest today here on In the Oil Patch. And, Kim, you know what time it is? It's trivia time. It is trivia time. Today's trivia question, how do you win it? It's real simple. Just be the first correct emailer to radio at shalemag.com. Again, that's radio at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com. And if you're the first correct answer, you'll win a $100 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, the Brazilian Steakhouse. And here's the question. Drum roll, please. Oh, we forgot the drums. Never mind. Um, Paul Coppinger with Weir Oil and Gas joined us on the show today. Excellent interview. Great guy. Great company. Tell me what Paul's position is with Weir Oil and Gas. Kim, that's going to put this show in the books this week. Be sure like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash in the oil patch radio show on Twitter at shale mag. And until next week, adios in the oil patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas business and in your community. Every week, our host Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on in the oil patch.